Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, y'all. This is Pastor Cornelius, RPC. And you know what? I'm excited about this Sunday's message. Listen, we're getting ready to talk about something I believe is incredibly important. It's like one of the foundational pillars of our faith. It's sacrifice. You know, what you're getting ready to experience is a continuation of our series on meeting God. We've been going to the Tabernacle of Moses. You know, we've already talked about being on the outside. You know, condemnation, shame, guilt keeps us from going to God. Then we talked about God's way, how God desires for us to do it His way. He gave all the instructions on how the tabernacle was supposed to be built. He gave us all the supplies we were supposed to use. Then he said, you're going to supply it to do it. But today we're going to talk about sacrifice and an important message that I've entitled, Give It Up. Listen, we've gathered, we're growing, we're going. But in order for us to go higher and get better, we got to give it up. Remember now, a part of our our culture is that we want you to know you can sit with us. We want you to know we love you already. But ultimately, we keep it 100, which means that we're believing God for 100% participation in serving, 100% participation in giving, and 100% participation in community. That means you are serving somebody somewhere. If you're not in Atlanta, if you're wherever you are, you're a part of a local church and you're serving somewhere. You're also giving something. So after the message, I just want you to ask yourself the question, are you giving as good as you get? Now, I don't care where you are. There are ways that you can give. You can give to this important message so we can be able to provide this for more people. And I'm, I, it's going to be 100%. We're believing God for 100% of all those who receive something from this message are going to pour back into it. There'll be ways for you to give uh, at, the end of this, uh, at the end of this very important message. And also, no matter where you are, I want to make sure you're a part of a Christian community. Make sure that you're either leading a small group or you're in a small group. And if you're ever in Atlanta, Georgia, make sure that you always stop in because we have enough room for you at the Go Church. And if you're in Charlotte, check out the Go Charlotte. Again, this, again, this is a PC and I cannot wait for you to experience this amazing, amazing message entitled, Give It Up. God bless y'all. But we've been in a sermon series about meeting God. And it's a six-week sermon series. I pray that it only goes six weeks. It's been so good, I've been wanting to stop and do breaks in between it. We were talking about meeting God and what that means and what that looks like. Now, we started outside of the tabernacle. You'll hear me talking about the tabernacle of Moses. You'll also hear me talking about the tent of meeting. Pretty much the two are synonymous. But this tabernacle, this is what God told Moses to build. He says, I want to have relationship with the people. In order for for me to have relationship with the people, you have to build it, and you got to build it the way in which I tell you to build it. This is an Old Testament, an an, an Old Testament occurrence that has New Testament, uh, you know, relevance. And throughout the message, my whole desire is to be able to show you how you can take historical, you know, historical information. You can take things that have happened, and you can be able to to use it into your present day life. Also, I want to say this, you know, you can look at the creation in order to understand the character and the mindset of the creator. Now, if it all belongs to God, God, God is the creator. 
chapter, then we can look at the tabernacle. We can look at things about our own life. We can look at how God did things, and we can begin to see how the creator desires for his creation to operate. So I'll be doing some things, and you'll hear me say practically, you know, relating to our lives today, how it can help us, and I pray that that, 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 that gets you. But the tabernacle of Moses, this is an opportunity for us to be able to go to meet God. This is, this is God's way of being able to say, I desire to have relationship with you. However that is, I want to have relationship with you, but you got to do it the way in which I tell you. We got quite a, a little bit of scripture to read today. We're going to start at Exodus 25. I'm going to read 1 through 9. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, Exodus 25, 1 through 9. A lot of people come to our church, they don't bring the Bibles because I know that you have it on your phone, so I hope you charged it up last night. Our lights went out, so if you didn't have power, look on with your neighbor. Um, Exodus 25, 1 through 9. Uh, Exodus 27, 1 through 8. We're going to read Exodus 30, 11 through 16. Y'all ready for this? Let's do this. The Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to bring me their sacred offerings. The Lord said, tell the people to bring their sacred offerings, which implies that God has a desire for the people to be as involved in building the tabernacle as he will be. Oftentimes we assume Thank you. Oftentimes we assume we assume that God is going to do all the work himself, but that's not the case. In actuality, God's saying, I have a part to play. I'll tell you how to do it, but you're going to have to get it done. He says, accept the contributions from all whose hearts are moved to offer them. The reason why we do offering the way we do here at the Go Church is because we believe that you give because you are compelled by God to do it. You give a contribution because God desires for you to do it, not because you have been pushed to do it, not because somebody made you do it, that you're doing it because God truly desires, as the scripture says, he loves a cheerful giver whose heart is in his or her giving. Then he says, here is a list of all the sacred offerings you may accept from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine linen and goat hair for cloth, tan ram skins and fine goat skin leather, acacia wood, olive oil in the lamp, spices for the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, onyx stone. God is just opulent. And other gemstones to be set. It says, look at all this. He says, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. This is, this is God's whole purpose. God says, I desire to have a relationship with you. If the creator is saying he wants to have a relationship with you, then how dare the creation say that you don't need to have a relationship? That whole ideology, I do good by myself, you don't. You lack accountability. You don't do better by yourself. In fact, we're referred to as sheep in, in scripture. Sheep don't fight. Our strength is found in our numbers. It's the weak who the wolves go after. Predators go after the wolves. Predators go after the ones who are weak. They go after the ones who are young. They go after the ones who are old. That's even why the scripture tells us to make sure that we take care of our elders and our orphans. Why? Because they are by themselves. They're too weak to fight for themselves. We take care of our children because those are the ones that the wolves will go after. But we go on. He says, you must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. You can't do it your way. You got to do it my way. Exodus 27. It says, using the Akasha wood, construct a square altar seven and a half feet wide, seven and a half feet long, and four and a half feet high. 
Make horns for each of its four corners so that the horns and altar are all one piece. Overlay the altar with bronze. Make ash buckets, shovel basins, meat forks, and fire pans, all of bronze. Make a bronze grating for it and attach four bronze rings at its four corners. Install the grating halfway down the side of the altar under the ledge for carrying the altar. It says, make poles from the acacia wood, overlay them with bronze. Insert the poles through the rings on the two sides of the altar. The altar must be hollow, made from planks. Build it just as you were shown on the mountain. Now, this is God talking to Moses. And to give you an idea of what we're looking at here, many of us, we know the story about the Israelites being enslaved by the Egyptians. And then God comes and God says, you know, you're going to let these people go. And Pharaoh's like, no, I won't. So all these plagues happen. And, you know, let my people go. And then finally Pharaoh's like, dude, y'all need to leave. It's too much. All these plagues, it's a lot. So the Israelites, they leave. They didn't leave empty-handed, though. They took gold and silver. They took a lot, of the, a lot of the spoils from the Egyptians, and they left. We all know they got to the Red Sea. God parted the sea. Boom, they went through. You know, Pharaoh army, he got drowned in the Red Sea. You know, we sing about that. Well, they, but now they're, they're traveling through the wilderness. God has set their face to go to the promised land. Moses is the leader, and any great and wise leader knows that before I can lead people, I must first consult with God. Because any man or woman who does not first submit to God will make, will make herself or himself a God. So Moses says, I have to consult with God first. So now God and Moses are talking. This is what we get. This is God giving Moses all the information he needs in order to build this tabernacle. Then Exodus 30. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, whenever you take a census of the people of Israel, each man who is counted must pay a ransom for himself to the Lord. Then no plague will strike the people as you count them. Each person who is counted must give a small piece of silver as a sacred offering to the Lord. All who have reached their 20th birthday must give this sacred offering to the Lord. When this offering is given to the Lord to purify your lives, making you right with him, the rich must not give more than the specified amount and the poor must not give less. Receive this ransom money from the Israelites and use it for the care of the tabernacle. It will bring the Israelites to the, to the Lord's attention and it will purify your lives. God says the rich shouldn't give more and the poor shouldn't give less. Why? Because God is a God of justice. If two men are in a fight and a woman comes along and, and, and tries to intervene and she kicks, the, she kicks one of the guys in the gonads, God says stone that woman, put her to death. If a slave master seeks to take advantage of the slave owner, God says that is injustice. Don't make one pay for the penalty of another. That is injustice. And God is a God of justice. God desires for justice to always be done. God does not allow for injustice to continue. There's always a stopping point. And God says this is the place that this will stop. That while slavery was allowed, God says, this is where it ends. It will not continue. God is a God of justice. Now, in this, God gives Moses these important things. He's saying, this is how you're going to do it. This is why you're going to do it. This is who is going to get it done. I mean, he's giving Moses all this stuff. Now, while Moses is with God, God has, God has chiseled with his finger. He's chiseled into, into, this, into this stone. And Moses is taking this back. Now, once you get to Exodus 32 and 33, I'd encourage you to read it on your own. Chapters 32 and 33. It really just speaks to our lives so much. It's really hilarious, so to speak. And then it gets really scary because it's like, man, this is really us. In Exodus 32 and 33, what happens is now the Israelites kind of did what we do. 
the Israelites were like, man, what's taking Moses so long? Um, why is he up there talking to God so long? You know what? Forget it. Aaron, Aaron, could you uh, help us build a God? Because Moses is taking forever. We need somebody to worship and somebody to praise. Aaron, being a leader who's doing the wrong thing here, listens to the people instead of listening to God. Aaron goes and Aaron says, all right, I tell you what, bring me all your gold. Get it from your kids. I mean, they kids had gold. Get it from your kids. Get it from, your, get it from everybody. Just get all your gold. Bring it to me. So they bring the gold. They give it to Aaron. Aaron melts it down, and now he makes this golden calf. So Aaron gets, Aaron is excited because guess what? The people are excited. They're like, yay, I got something we can worship. Look, I got a God now. And look what the God has done to help us come out of this. And they're so excited about the golden calf. And so Aaron is so excited about it. He does the foolish thing that sometimes leaders, we do foolish things because we listen to the people. So Aaron built an altar in front of the golden calf. So now the Lord, God, and Moses are having a conversation. they like, What's going on? So now while they're talking, the Lord's like, hold up. What are these people doing? Moses is like, what are you talking about? God is like, what are they doing? Why are they creating a, a calf? Why are they creating another God? He, and God's like, you know what? You need to go back down. You know what? Forget it. I'm going to destroy all of them. Moses is like, hold up. Hold up. Before you do that, <laughs> mercy a little bit. God, do you want it to be said that you saved them out of the hands of the Egyptians only to destroy them in the wilderness? And God's like, I changed my mind. But you're going to have to go down there and fix it. So Moses goes, he takes these tablets that God, that God has written on. And he, he goes down. And now Moses sees them with Aaron and they see this golden calf. Moses gets so mad, he takes the thing, he breaks the tablets. Now remember now, the first time God wrote the tablets, he wrote the tablets. And remember now, any time you look at the creation, you look at, you look at the actions of the creator, it gives, you, it gives you the mindset and how and the wisdom and how the creator thinks. Moses broke the tablets that he got from God the first time. When he goes back up again, God makes Moses write them, which tells me something. That when God gives you the way the first time, hey, it may be easy. But the second time, after you have broken it, misused it, mistreated, God said, I haven't abandoned you. I'm just going to make you do it the next time. I'm still with you, but now you're going to have to write it. But nevertheless, that's not my sermon. So now Moses gets down. He is mad. Aaron, he's like, Aaron, why would you allow for this to happen? But Moses, the people. And Moses like, forget them. They don't know what they want. So now God, he had to fix all this stuff. So Moses goes, he, he, he melts down the, the golden calf, puts it in water, ash, and makes the people drink it. Like, you want your God? There you go. Drink it down. <laughs> A lot goes on here. But now Moses still has compassion for these people, and their face is still set to go towards the promised land. God is still giving him orders to build this tabernacle. Now, this tabernacle was made to be portable, which I believe also God is speaking to us here. See, the New Testament church is referred to as the ecclesia. We are the sent ones. We are a moving body, a moving church. That we don't come here to have church. We come here because we are the church, the temple of God. 
That does not mean that we don't have church or we don't meet in the temple or some sort of one like this, but rather we come here to assemble together the embodiment of many churches. Every joint fitly supplied working together, as the book of Corinthians tells us, that we all come together to learn what we need to do in order to go out. The book of Ephesians tells us that he gave us some prophets, some apostles, some teachers, some, some, some uh, pastors, and some, some evangelists. He gave us all for the work of, it's, it's all for the edification of the body. It is my job here to edify you, edify, edifice, building. So I'm here to build you up so that you can go do the work of the ministry. So when the work doesn't get done, don't blame the church. Don't blame the pastor. Look in the mirror. When you pass by something and work needs to be done, then God's saying a leader doesn't complain when you see a ditch. A leader builds a bridge. So because you see the problem, it is not your job to go and complain about it on social media or to bash the church for not doing it. Because he showed it to you, the church, you should do it. <sighs> like revelation, right? It's like when it kind of hits you, you're like, man, that does sound right. I got a part to play. But God has this moving tabernacle. And he says, I desire to dwell in this tabernacle. But the people didn't want that. The people were like, look, Moses is taking so long. And typically when it seems like God is taking too long, we try to take matters into our own hands, don't we? God, you're taking too long. I need my own God. You know what, God? I tried that church thing. It didn't work for me. You're taking too long. I thought you were just supposed to fix it like that. God, I, you know what? I don't know. But here, here's God. And again, when you look at the creation, when you look at how God does something, it gives you insight to how he thinks. While you're over here worried and being impatient about what isn't happening, God behind the scenes is making it happen better than what you could have ever expected. But you're over here worried and complaining, so now you take the resources he gave you to build your own God. Our debt, our time, our schedule, everything else shows us present day what kind of gods we have built because we were too impatient to wait on God. And God says, if you would have just waited on me, I could have saved you resources. I could have saved you time. I could have saved you energy. I could have saved you unnecessary relationships if you would have just waited on me. But it's very difficult for us in this time, in this time of day to do a very, very easy, what supposed to be easy thing, rest. Just rest in the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Wait on, just rest. Because now in our, in our ambitious culture, especially when you look out in the world and you see so many people who seem to be doing so many things, you look out in the world and you start to think, well, maybe I'm not doing enough. I was sitting down with a group of guys this week and they were talking about social media and they were saying, you know, you know one thing I got to do, Pastor, I got to get my numbers up. I got to do this. I got to get people to see me. I got to get people to do this. And I, I'm concerned because I'm beginning to think that this social media, I don't believe is going away anytime soon. I'm beginning to think this social media ideology is beginning to shape our church culture, which is telling us something that, you know what, we're thinking that because man doesn't see it, then God doesn't see it. But can I tell you something? Your work does not have to go viral for it to be important. It's still significant. You don't need more followers. You, need, you, you just need, you need a deeper relationship with God. Because one word from him could change and ratify your life forever. One word. You don't need more plans. You need some more prayer. You just need a meeting with God. That's all you need. You need a meeting with him. 
You don't need, you don't need, I, I get this relationship. If I can, if I can, if I can meet this person, then they're going to probably give me a deal. Why? It'll happen in this timing. I'm good. I mean, if I meet them, I meet them. But if I don't, oh well. Because here's the thing, my destiny is not tied in to their yes or no. I didn't get the gig. So what? Move on. God loves me. I'm good. I'll get the next one. Or a better one is waiting for me. God's doing something behind the scenes that I don't even know. Let me rest. Let me just be patient. Let me just be patient. God's doing something here. Now, God gave Moses and the people specific instructions as to how he wanted the tabernacle built, what he wanted the people to give, and how the priests and people were to conduct themselves. Now, Bible study, we talked about three parts of this. God says there must be an architect. God says there must be, a, there must be suppliers of the supply. Then there must be supply. So God says there must be an architect, and guess who's the architect? God says, I'm the architect. I am the architect, which is so cool, because when God says he's the architect, what this is telling you is, is God saying, I am the one who is going to chart the plans forward. The architect is important because the architect is helping to establish the foundation of a thing, which means present day, practically speaking, in our lives right now, you take your vision board that I know you spent a lot of time on. I know you grabbed everything that you thought you wanted, but you take your vision board. You know, we always do it at the beginning of the year because it's so exciting, so important, so good. Oh my goodness, I want this to apply with this and with that. I put a car, I put all this kind of stuff. And you take your vision board and you say, you say, Lord, is this what you have for me? And you submit it before him. Because he is the architect, which means he knows what to do when you don't. He, it, 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 it is God's way of saying, let me do the foundation. The scripture says, there is a way in which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is destruction. You think it's the right way, but God says, I got something completely different for you. Many of y'all know the story. You come here, I tell it all the time. This is not what I wanted. I grew up in an old Baptist church. I didn't want to be a pastor because all the preachers that I saw, they ate fried chicken and they drove these old Cadillacs. And I didn't want that. I don't want orange juice in the middle of my sermon. How do you drink orange juice while you're preaching? That acidic junk, how can you drink it? It's like it hurts your throat. I just don't understand it. I don't want somebody coming up and, you know, give me the goblet. I just didn't, I didn't, I, didn't, I saw it and I said, this is not what I wanted. God, I have a, I have a, I have a plan for my life. And no, I didn't consult you with it because I didn't, I didn't know to in the beginning. And then when I knew to, I was too afraid to consult him. Because I was like, God, you're going to take it all from me and I'm going to be left with nothing. Then I'm going to be living this sorry, pitiful, frustrating life. I'll be doing everything you want me to do. And God, I don't want that. And finally, I got to a point where I was like, God, I'm so sick of running. If you're going to be the architect, then you have to run it. So I had to submit every piece and every part of my life to him. God, this is yours. You take it how you want it, however you do it. And it just led me down a different path. I thought I'd finish college. I didn't. I thought I'd become an attorney. I'm not. I thought I'd run for political office. That's not anything I'm going to do anytime in the near future. And I thought, God, this is what I have for my life. And God says, but son, if you would trust me, if you would trust me, I got you. Let me lead your life, not you leading it. And you have to ask yourself the question. You've been leading your life all this time. Are you tired yet? Because you ain't got it figured out. <laughs> you can keep following your way. Or you can finally be like, you know what? I am going to truly taste and see that the Lord is good. Because once you get one taste of his goodness, you don't ever want to go back. He's the architect. 
which also tells us that you got to do it on his terms, not yours. Because this is not a democracy. I know we live in a democracy. So you can say it how you want to say it. You can do it how you want to do it, at least within, with, at least that's what we think we can. We kind of say whatever we want to say. But you know what? In God's kingdom, when he becomes the architect, when he becomes the ruler, then even though you want to say it, you don't. You want to speak on a subject, but God says, shut up. Don't do that. But God, you understand I'm very passionate about it. I know, but here's the thing. You don't know enough about it to really speak on it. Wait. It's not time yet. But God, it's, 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 really, I mean, it's just really in me. And I feel like I want to do it. I know. Lay it down. Submit. Don't do that. Don't start that. Don't go there. Don't do it. I know it seems popular. It sounds like a great opportunity, but don't do it. But God, it's going to make me a lot of money. But here's the thing you don't understand. In five years, it's going to cost you everything you got. Can I keep you from something? Can you trust me? You still want to do it. Okay, now you're going to go to Aaron. Go to, what, you want to go to Aaron? Aaron going Aaron to made you a calf. So now you went and you found a whole new mentor to help you build something that God says, it don't matter. You're going to tear it down anyway. Don't build something today that has the potential of embarrassing you later on. God says, listen and wait. Just wait on me. Could you come meet with me first? Could you seek me in prayer before you move? Could you seek me in prayer before you start church hopping? Could you talk to me first? Because it may not have been anything wrong with where you left. The problem could have just been you. We, we, we got to seek him first. But he says there must be an architect. Then he says there have to be suppliers of the supply, which is where we're going to get into today about the sacrifice. God says, listen, there's a supplier that has to supply everything you have. Now, I am the ultimate supplier because it was by me that you were able to take the spoils that you took from the Egyptians. I'm the reason why you have it. And since I, since I have given you that right, those supplies are really mine. You're just good stewards of them. So you got the gold, you got the bronze, you got the silver, you got the onyx stones, you got the gemstones, you got the wood, you got everything else. But here's the thing. Don't waste your resources too soon. Don't go wasting your resources because I have need of them for my tabernacle. And our debt and our time and our calendar shows us how we waste the resources God gives us. Present day, practical, in our lives right now, the end of the week or end of two weeks or the beginning of the month, whenever you get your paycheck, it is God's way of saying, okay, will you waste the resources I have given you? I gave you resources in order to build the tabernacle. Did you waste them? Did you seek me first? Because you thought it all belonged to you. If we can be honest, it all belongs to God. The whole idea of tithe was that God was just saying, give this 10% up under this law. But now if you really realize it, it all belongs to him anyway. So hey, if you want to argue about 10%, you give 30. Because God's saying it all belongs to me. Seek me first. I want you to give it out of a cheerful heart because I desire it. It's all mine. And if I ever wanted it back. Don't you think for a second that you have the power to keep it? I have, I, your kids are mine. I'm giving you stewardship over them. You're just there to raise them in the truth and the admonition of my truth. That's all you're there to do. Your, your responsibility, parent, is not to dictate their lives. It is to point them to me. 
So I get people all the time, I get, I, you know, we have a young church, so people come to me and say, you know, I'm doing this right now because my parents want me to. And they get so caught up in that because the Bible says, honor your parents that your days may be longer. So they'll say, you know, I'm just obeying my parents. I'm obeying what my parents tell me. But honor my parents means something. Honor means that I'm willing to leave a good name for them. When you say you honor God, that means I'm willing to leave a good name for them. So I grew up in an old, Bap- in, in, in an old small town in Mississippi, and they would come up to me and they would say, my, my grandfather's name was William Curtis. Uh, Wesley, and, he, and they would come and they would say, you're WC's grand, grandson. You're Clover Nails, boy. What they're doing is they're ascribing the honor they have for my mom and my grandfather onto me. How they already view them, they're pointing to me. And, and so now they mean, oh, okay, so you Cornelius, is that, that that's, that's little Cornelius? What they're saying here is that the honor is now being passed down. So how you live is an honorable way. It's now passed down to your generation and your generation and your generation. The honor that, that goes along with it. God says, honor them. Leave a good name on the earth for them because when you honor your parents, ultimately you honor me. Honor me. But if your parents tell you to go and rob a bank, that's dishonorable to God. So why would God have for you to obey your parents to tell you to do something that is dishonorable and then you think you're honoring God in the same way? God's saying, listen, parents, understand something. Your job is not to tell your kids what to do. Your job is to point them to God. So when they're no longer in your house, they're still in his. Because if not, you will turn your children into addicts that are constantly trying to seek a parent's approval. And then the parent, mama and daddy, becomes the God. And I'm serving mama and daddy's vision, mama and daddy's dream. Mama and daddy want me to get this money. Mama and daddy want me to do it. Mama and daddy want me to do it. And God says, but that was not in the plan. And if I have to remove mom and daddy out of the way in order to get you to understand that, then I will. Or better yet, I'll just use your children since you're too hard-headed to do it. If I have to, I'll just raise up a Joshua who will actually listen to me. God says, it's going to be my way. I've given you the supplies. God's given you gifts. These are, these are practical things. You say you want to know your purpose? Practical things. He's given you gifts. The Bible talks about spiritual gifts, gifts of administration, gifts of service, gifts of helps, gifts of giving. We all have different gifts in the room. And all our gifts come and they all work together. They all work together. I've used this example many times, but it's like if I have a plate of cookies, I drop the cookies on the ground, and now all the gifts, you see all the gifts operating. The person with the gift of administration runs over and it's like, you know, they don't pick up the cookies. They don't touch cookies. They don't touch floor. They start dictating who's going to do what. Person giving administration like, who, who, who got the broom? Go get the broom. Who got, you go, no, pick, no, pick that up. Person with a gift of service jumps right in, doesn't even think about it, just jumps right in, just start picking up cookies. Person with a gift of giving comes over and is like, what kind of cookies you want? Oatmeal raisin? I get you oatmeal raisin. I get you peanut butter. I don't need any money. I got it. I got it. Don't worry about it. I'm going to go, I'm going to run to the store and get it. Don't worry about it. You know, a person with a gift of teaching stands there and gets a sermon from the, from the accident. But all the gifts work together. God says, I've given you gifts. And then you have skills. These are just things that you've learned along the way. You might be skilled in, you know, in, in, in piano. You, you, might, you, might, you might be skilled. You might, speaking may not have been something that came naturally to you. But you might be skilled in how you do it. You might be skilled in how you use computers. All those things work together. And ultimately, God is showing you, let me shape you and let me mold you. Let me get you into the right place so you can understand your purpose forward. God says, I've given you the supplies. 
but you're the supplier of it. And the only reason why the tabernacle would lack any good thing is because you're disobedient with it. The only reason why the Go Church would lack any good thing is because we have people who call this place home but give nothing to it. I'm not talking about your money, per se. I'm talking about your time, talking about your energy, because we don't understand the impact of unity. Y'all know it's very difficult for us to be a unified people. I mean, nowadays, you don't have to tear a man down. You can just let his people do it for him. You have to tear a woman down. You can just let everybody else do it for him. I mean, unity? We want to be unified when it's viral. God says, I've given you this. Now, but then you also have the supplies. Now, God, God, we went down a whole list of them. Gold, onyx. Uh, he, wanted, he wanted lamb skin. I mean, like God, God went through like all the ecosystems. He's like plants and, and animals and, and gems. He just went through the whole ecosystem. Bring me a little bit of everything. We're going to build this whole thing out of it. But today, we come to this place where we've been outside of the tabernacle. And today we're getting ready to walk through it. Now, when we walk through this place, we're standing on holy ground. When we walk in, we walk in, and we have to go through, we have to go through the linen curtains. Now, these, these linen curtains are very important because it represents, it represents the righteousness of God, which we know to be Jesus Christ. This is very important. It represents the righteousness of God, which we know to be Jesus Christ. Now, anybody, anybody who's on the outside can go in which is beautiful. That's why a part of our culture in our church, we tell people, you can sit with us. Why? Because we believe that no matter where you come from, no matter where you are, you can walk in. If God allowed for anybody to just walk in through the front door of his tabernacle, you can walk in through the front door of our church. Come in. But now when you come in, I want you to realize something, that this linen represented something. It represented a separation, a divide, a division between God and the people. And God's saying, I'm here to open this divide, to allow for you to finally have a relationship with me. So now we're outside. We step into the tabernacle. We walk through the linen curtains. And now we come in. And the first thing we see is fire and blood. First thing we see is sacrifice. The first thing we see is a brazen altar. Why am I seeing an altar first? You would think, God, the first thing I would see would maybe be like a plush garden or like a big welcome sign that says, hi, God is here. God is here. You're almost there. But God says, no, the first thing you see is a place of sacrifice. The first thing you see is a place of submission. The first thing you see is a place of honor. And this is where we get to with the brazen altar. So we enter in into the outer court. So this, this tabernacle is made up of three different courts. We have an outer court. We have an inner court, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks, the holy place. And then we'll get into the holies of holies. Now, you probably have heard this preached in maybe we're talking about friendships or something. You know, the, the, the concept is, is that you have your outer court friends. Those are like your coworkers and classmates. I remember when I was in school, you know, everybody was like, you know, we're going to see each other. You write each other yearbooks. I'll see you forever. And it's like, no, I won't. You got like a yearbook full of phone numbers that you never use. Don't forget to call me. I forgot. Because you assume that you're together because, because you're in close proximity. That's about it. You know, you're only friends with your coworkers right now because y'all work together. If y'all didn't work together, y'all wouldn't even talk to each other. That's it. That's pretty much it. 
Like, I don't even want to see you on the weekends. But on Monday, hey, because y'all cut up together. Outer court. I don't tell you anything intimate because I don't know you. I ain't coming to your house. All I talk to you about is the other employees and our coworkers and our boss. That's it. I see you at the Christmas party. We cut up together. That's it. Then you have your inner court people. These are people who you know a little bit more intimately. I know you, you know of me, you may even know of some stuff, you may even come to my house, you may even hung out, we've chatted, you know some stuff, but you don't really know me. Don't be fooled now, you follow me, but you don't know me. I'm crazy. <laughs> you don't know me. And then you have the holies of holies. And see, the, the, the younger generation who's growing up in social media has brought the idea, this ideology, that because, because you follow that you really must know somebody. So they meet you, they're like, oh, I know you. You don't know me. I promise you don't know me. You don't know me. Don't let the screen fool you. You don't know me. <laughs> you really don't. But then you go to the holies of holies. And even Jesus showed this. Jesus is like, look, I got these 70-something uh, disciples. I'm sending you out. Leave your tunics and leave your coin purse and leave your this, leave your that. I'm sending you all out. But he has a 12. He has that inner court full of people. Then, then he has that intimate group of three. Then he has that one on John who he allows to lay his head upon his breast. Even Jesus shows this concept of outer court, inner court, and holies of holies, or outer court, holy place, and holies of holies. And it's always wise never to confuse a holies of holies person and to give them and communicate with them about, about things that they shouldn't know, especially when they're in the outer court. But that's not my sermon today. Anybody can enter into the, into the outer court. You have to go through the curtain of fine linens. Revelations 9, 6 through, uh, 6 through 8 says, The bride of Christ shall be clothed with fine linens, which are the righteous deeds of the saints. The other important thing I want to mention here is that there was only one way to get into the tabernacle, which tells us something about God. God's saying, listen, there's only one way to get in. In the book of John, he says, it says Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You want to get in here? You can only do this through me. Jesus is basically saying here, the same way you can only go into the tabernacle one way is the same way you can only go. You can only go one way, and I'm the door. You want to go in? You got to go through me first. But I'm not the ending of it. I'm the beginning. I'm the beginning of this thing. As we get to the brazen altar, the brazen altar is a place of justification. What I mean is that we've been justified by Jesus Christ. We've been justified. Ultimately, in the coming weeks, we'll talk about sanctification, how we're being sanctified, and the purification with the water of the word. And then we'll get into glorification when we stand before our Lord Jesus Christ and now we're glorified with these new bodies, these new, these new celestial bodies. And, and, and we, we return back to the body that, that, Adam, that Adam and Eve once had that body that was free of death and free of sickness and free of disease, the body that was meant to multiply more beings, but, but the beings weren't supposed to die. In any, in, I mean, you can, you can look out of the world today and you can notice that in the Garden of Eden, it says the Garden of Eden was between the Tigris and the Euphrates River. If you were to really look at that, you would see like present day Iraq. You would notice why when you look out there, it's so hollow and so it's desert. It's all, it just seems dead. And that's because at one, at one point there was lush vegetation and it all died. And where do you get oil from? Rich vegetation that dies. 
And now we're fighting over something that has implications from when God first started this thing. They talk about Mars and how Mars had what they, 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 they believe that there were streams that used to go, but somehow it stopped because when sin entered the world, God said, this is it. Now I have to create a firmament even between this. I can't have you to go there. If you if all of us were here and we were supposed to die, how can we all populate Earth? Different places where we're supposed to go. That's not even my sermon. I know I'm telling you that, but anyway, it helps somebody. But as we continue to go forward, we notice that this is a place of justification. We've been justified because of the sacrifice at the brazen altar. The Hebrew root for altar means to slay or slaughter. The Latin word for altar means rise or raise. So now we have this raised platform that was intended for slaughtering and sacrifice. Remember, remember when Jesus was, was, was crucified? He was, as, as, as the song sings, we always say, he was high and lifted up. This, the brazen altar was only showing us what was to come with Jesus Christ in a sacrifice. There, we argue all the time, who killed Jesus? Was it the Romans? Was it the Jews? Was it this? Well, who killed Jesus? Jesus gave himself up as ransom. This was the Father's will that he died. He had to be sacrificed. There needed to be a sacrifice for those of you who wonder, well, then why Jesus? Why? I don't understand it. I don't get it. I understand why it has to be Jesus. Why can't it be other ways? Why can't it be other doors? Why can't it be other interests? I want to explain it to you this way. We, most religions all, all agree upon a beginning. There has to be a beginning somewhere. Even the people who believe in just the universe believe there had to be a beginning. Even believe people who are, you know, snapping chakra rocks together. You believe it was a beginning somewhere because the chakra rock came from somewhere. Well, the universe created it all. Where did the universe come from? You have to be able to answer and ask these questions. But anyway, with Jesus, you have to think, okay, there was a beginning of something. Now, we all recognize we're all sinful beings. Sin had to derive from somewhere because sin was born there had to be an answer. And God always provides an answer way before there's a problem. And he said, there will be an answer for the sin problem, but there must be a sacrifice. There must be a way. There has to be a way of doing this. And every year on the Day of Atonement, one day out of the year, the high priest would have to go into the holies of holies and he had to make a presentation to God and he would have to offer up a sacrifice to God. But the only problem was, was that the blood of animals, the blood of goats, the blood of sheep, the blood of lambs, the blood of, 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 of bulls and heifers, those, that blood, it, it only atoned. And atone means to cover. But the blood of Jesus that we sing about that washes white as snow didn't just cover our sins. It remitted them. Remittance means to remove. That's the power of Jesus. That's why guilt, condemnation, and shame has no place in your life because the blood of Jesus removes. It remits it. Your sins aren't covered, baby. It wasn't done by blood of lambs and goats and, and, and cows and bulls. No, this was done through and by one sacrifice, one entrance, one way, one hope. And they gave him a name. Jesus, the Christ. Jesus, the Christ. Jesus, the anointed one. 
because there had to be a sacrifice, one that was a lamb without spot or without blemish. And it says about Jesus that he who knew no sin, it is not the fact that he didn't commit sin, it's the fact that he didn't even know of the sin. He was still tempted with it, but he knew no sin. This is important because there had to be one sacrifice that was holy. Why? Because God is holy. And God knew that ain't now one of us. Able to offer a sacrifice because ain't and one of us clean enough to do it. So don't, don't lecture me on your good deeds. Don't lecture me on your self-righteousness. Don't lecture me on how good you think you are. Don't lecture me on how great you think you tithe. Don't lecture me on how, you, on how great you think your marriage is. Don't lecture me while you put down other people. Don't lecture me while you put down the outsiders as though they don't have more of a responsibility in this and they're not loved by God. Don't lecture me about all of your dirty deeds as clean as you think they are. Because they're all like filthy rags to God. God says, if you, if you really want to lecture somebody, you better give them the gospel. Because there's only one way to get in this. And baby, it ain't through you. It's only one way. And as you step foot into that tabernacle, there is a brazen altar. And there's a place of sacrifice. There's a place of blood and fire. Fire is important because fire does two things and it does two things well. Fire purifies and fire destroys. Now remember, you can always look at the creation of a thing to, to understand the creator of a thing. So God says, I have fire. It can purify or it can destroy you, which tells me present day, practically, if you feel like you're going through the fire, be purified, don't be destroyed. Let it make you better. Don't let it make you better. I'm getting better because I'm going through it. Change your perspective. I'm glad I'm going through it. Purify me, oh God. Purify me, oh God. Purify me, oh God. Purify me, oh God. Purify me. And that what happens at the brazen altar. It's a place of purification. That fire could destroy you. But baby, you're too strong to be destroyed. Peep this. Think about all the days you thought you wouldn't make it, but you did. Now, answer yourself this question. How strong do you really think I am? If you could have died back then, but you didn't, and you still survived, you are stronger than what you think. That brazen altar is a place of sacrifice. And God says, listen, I'll provide the sacrifice and I'll continue to show you throughout scripture how there will continuously be a brazen altar. Abraham, I will give you a son. Don't worry, Abram, I'll give you a son and you shall name him. And he and, and through him shall all the nations of the earth shall they be blessed. But Abram does what we did. It does what the Israelites did. When you get too impatient with God, you start to do your own way. And now his wife says, why don't you just go and sleep with the maid? And like a man, he says, okay. <laughs> and they have a child by the name of Ishmael. And Ishmael, <laughs> Abraham really soon realizes that Ishmael is not the promise. And wherever there is an Ishmael, there will be chaos. And if we could trace the lineage of Ishmael, we would soon learn that many of our present day problems are because the Ishmael was let loose and it didn't die. That's not my sermon for today. God says, listen, you didn't need an Ishmael. I always had an Isaac for you. 
but you didn't trust that I can impregnate your old wife's womb because you were looking at it your doorway, not mine. And God says, there's a story in that for you. Don't think that just because you don't see it now that you have to make it happen for yourself. But don't forget, that's not where the story ends. It's not just a celebration that he had, Isaac. But now God says, Abraham, bring that boy up. Y'all go up to the top of the mountain and you're going to get ready to worship. You're going to sacrifice him to me. Think about what Abraham was thinking. God, I went through all of this. My faith being being made whole that you would give me a child. And now you want me to sacrifice him to you. Get up, Isaac. Let's go. Isaac puts the wood up on his back, which begins to symbolize Jesus one day carrying the cross that he would then carry up on Calvary. Oh, it all runs together, baby, if you ran it together. I wish I had the time to take it with you. But now he takes it up to the top. And and before Abraham could kill his only begotten son, the angel of the Lord stops him and says, stop. I just wanted to see if you would do it or not. But don't worry, I've already provided a ram in the bush. Abraham, I just wanted to see if I could trust you. I wanted to see if you would be willing to give up what you thought was valuable. Because what I got for you is so much greater than what you're trying to hold on to. You holding on to an acre. I got a hundred for you, baby. God says this is a place of sacrifice. And you have to sacrifice something. And teach those Israelites that they're going to always have to sacrifice something. See, Jesus did not save us just from something that's incomplete. If the most you've heard of the gospel is that you've been saved from sin, then it's an incomplete message. It's not just that you were saved from sin, but baby, you've been saved to something. He saved you from sin, from death, from hell. But he saved you to righteousness. He saved you to love. He saved you to grace. He saved you to mercy. He saved you to a commission that's bigger than you. He saved you to do ministry, whether it's on a pulpit, whether it's on a stage, or whether it's in a practice in the marketplace. He saved you for a reason, to something. He saved you not just so that you could be set free. He saved you so that you can help others be set free. That's why we don't stop at the brazen altar. Any Teaching of the gospel that stops at the cross is an incomplete teaching. Because the gospel is not just that we stop at the cross. Jesus didn't just lay in the grave. He got up in the same way he got up. You get up with a commission. And now Jesus sits at the right hand. But now we ask the question, why Jesus? I want to read Hebrews 10, 1 through 18, and then I'm done. I just want you to be all my analytical people on the side. I'm right there with you. I question a little bit of everything. So just stay right here with me. Read this with me. Hebrews chapter 10. We're starting at verse 1. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. 
If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once for all time. And their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. Isn't that something? The sacrifice reminded them of their guilt. Jesus doesn't do that. That's why in John, he says, I didn't come here to condemn the world. Why? Because the world was already condemned. I came here to set the world free. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. First, Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they were required on the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. Once for all time, under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. It only atoned it. It never took it away. Oh, but our high priest, he offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand, and that's a place of strength. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant. I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember the sins and the lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. There's no other deity that is known to mankind in whatever religion that has ever offered you that type of hope. The universe didn't do that for you. It didn't die for you. Don't worship it. Don't build a brazen calf just because you feel like God's taking too long. Astrology and horoscopes didn't die for you. Jesus did. Rocks, gemstones, those things didn't die for you. They were used in the temple. They weren't the temple. Don't use it. You can't use the ways of man. You can't use the books of man. Hey, I know what you think. Well then, well, then you know what? Man wrote the Bible. Man also talked on that YouTube video you watch. At some point, you got to get it in your head and you got to believe this. Even if I didn't have the book, I can still prove God being real. Because only he can encounter a wicked man on his own road to Damascus and change him, blind him, and move him in a completely different direction. If you want to see true evidence of the presence and the reality of Jesus Christ, I would even tell you to go to the Bible first. Go to the people who you know who are really living this thing out. Their life is a testament of the true nature of God because only God could change somebody as crazy as you were. There's a sacrifice. But God says, I made a sacrifice. And now we don't sacrifice because we have to. We sacrifice because we get to. 
The reason why a part of our culture now is 100% in our giving is because of this. It is a pillar of our faith. And whenever the Israelites went to meet God, they had to make a sacrifice first. Peep this, people. Listen to this. Take it in. Nurture it. Tweet it. Laugh about it. Talk about it. Go over it. Tear it up. Tear it apart. But whatever in your life you do not make serve God, you will serve it. If your money does not serve God, you will serve it. That's the reason why you live paycheck to paycheck. It goes like this in a circle. The only time ends meet that you keep, I keep making ends meet is a circle. That's called insanity. Debt puts you in insanity. Because your money, you work for it. But it's a place of power when you're able to tell your money, God, where you want me to send this? Because I got the means to do it. That's a place of power. When your kids serve God, if you don't make your kids serve God, you're going to be serving your kids in and out of correctional facilities all the days of your life. Why? Because they're meant to serve God, not to serve you and not to serve anybody else. Before you help your kids find out what college they're going to, make sure they know that word. So when they get on the campus, I ain't worried about them. God got them. Go to sleep. They'll be all right. God, God took care of them. Whatever in your life that you don't make serve God, you will serve it. You don't make your body serve God, you'll serve your body. I'm telling you, you don't make your relationship serve God, you'll serve your relationship. Your marriage, if you don't serve God, you'll serve your marriage. Beating your head up against the wall because it's hard, it's supposed to be hard because you don't serve the one who you're supposed to. It's a sacrifice. And he calls us to sacrifice for a reason. He calls us to sacrifice for a purpose. He calls us to sacrifice for something. Every person in here who's watching us from abroad, who's watching us out in, in overflow, you're called to make a sacrifice. But the first sacrifice you make can't be of your stuff. I mentioned this in Bible study, and I want you to get this. I want, I want you to burn this into your head. The most important Important supply in the temple, in the tabernacle. It was not the lamb, it wasn't the fire, it wasn't the gold, it wasn't the silver, it wasn't the, bron wasn't the bronze, it wasn't the, the sheepskin, it wasn't any of that stuff. The most important supply in the tabernacle was the heart. Because if your heart isn't right, then you'll give because you feel like, I got to. You'll serve because you feel like, I got to. You'll do things because you feel like, I got to. You feel like, I got to love God. I got to do this for God if God's going to love me. And God says, no, get your heart right. You don't preach because you have to. You preach because you get to. You don't give because you have to. You give because you get to. I give you the power to do it. So right now, there's some hearts that need to be changed in some, some places. And I'm under authority from God to pray for you, to believe God with you, and to lead you through this. If you're here and you need to make a sacrifice here this morning to agree first to God's terms of peace, it can only be through Jesus Christ, no other way. No other way. One way, Jesus Christ. You've wrestled with it long enough. It's only one way. 
And if you need to make terms of peace and truly confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, today is the day for you to do that. Today is your day of salvation. If you're in this place and you're saying, I need to agree to God's terms of peace. I have not been living the way I'm supposed to. You need to rededicate your life here. This is the opportunity to do it. Fire either purifies or it destroys. And until you change your life around, until you repent and turn, you're going to feel destroyed instead of purified. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.